0: Locked On, Locked On, Locked On Hornets. Your daily Charlotte Hornets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Hornets here on this Friday Charlotte Hornets news and analysis in your podcast feed every day wherever you need it, whenever you need it. We will be there. I'm Doug Branson. Uh, David wrapping up his vacation, so no worries. David Walker stands. He will be back here uh, early next week to, to help me out here on the Locked on Hornets podcast. It is a Friday. It's cold. It's pre-winter storm here uh, in Charlotte. They're calling for eight inches of snow uh, here in the, the uptown area, so uh, that could get very interesting. Uh, the grocery store is already devoid of bread and milk. Never. Understood that. I will be visiting uh, the grocery store this morning for sure, but it will be to acquire frozen pizzas, possibly some frozen burritos. But things that are very easy to—I'm not—I'm not dealing with bread and milk. Just give me some some uh, soda, maybe maybe some beer and some frozen pizzas. I'm good to go. Uh, we are part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Head over to iTunes, search Locked On, find podcast on the NFL, golf, fantasy sports. It's the fastest growing podcast network in the world. Uh, we'll get to some All Star voting talk. We got an update on the fan votes. Yesterday, So we'll talk about where Kimba Walker is and where everyone else is in the Eastern Conference momentarily. But first, let's talk about the game that happened last night in Detroit. The Hornets visiting the Pistons and the Pistons coming away with the victory 115-114. to 114. Uh, Some good performances in here. Kimba Walker, 12 of 24 from the field, 32 points, 20 of those coming in the fourth quarter, uh, as well as Spencer Hawes, who hit the big three to tie it late, uh, 6 of 13 from the field, 18 points, 3 of 5 from beyond the arc. Uh, he, a lot of fans questioning why he was in the fourth quarter over Roy Hibbert, but I think he silenced most of those critics. Marvin Williams also had a great performance, 6 of 11 from the field, 19 points, all those players crucial, especially uh, when Nick Batum wasn't feeling it from the field, and then he leaves the game uh, with a hyperextended knee, so a right knee, so we'll get more information on his status. You know, uh, the the hyperextension is, uh, I've heard it described as a catch-all kind of diagnosis, so um, you know, until they look at the knee further and give us more information, there's, there's really no use even speculating on how long he'll be out. I do know that. And again, every injury is different, but I do know that Marvin Williams uh, had a hyperextension extension earlier this season, late in November into early December. And uh, he missed six games, uh, missed about nine, 10 days. So again, every injury is different. It did, You know, he landed awkwardly. Looked like he landed maybe on on Roy Hibbert's foot, or 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 just came down awkwardly and went to the went to the bench immediately and started rubbing the side of that knee. So you know, he I don't think he had to be carried off the court or anything. So I don't know, um, but I'm no doctor. So I don't know you know, the severity of the injury or anything. I'm sure we'll get more word on that uh, today as the Hornets make plans to travel to San Antonio to play the Spurs tomorrow night. Um, we're going to talk about these uh, last couple of possessions because that's what this game came down to here in a second. But just I want to kind of go through uh, some storylines in this game, the the Hornets, I felt like, got off to a decent start. At least offensively, they get the Detroit Pistons into the penalty. They were getting to the rim at will. We talked a lot in our preview about the defensive struggles that Detroit has been dealing with. You know, the Hornets have been dealing with their own defensive struggles, but so is Detroit, and they really attack the rim. And I thought they did a good job of doing that. And they got both Andre Drummond and John Luer in foul trouble. And so normally you would think that that would be a good thing for the Hornets' chance to win this game uh, because Drummond is such a force inside. Luer definitely uh, proficient at knocking down three-pointers, and also he was inserted into the starting lineup to give them a boost uh, defensively. And so you're just adding to their trouble. But then enter Boban Marjanovic, a guy who has been playing about five minutes per game not getting much action, but he is. If you've never seen this guy, just search, just Google Bobon. This guy has uh, hands the size of my head. He he makes Roy Hibbert look small in comparison, a lot like uh, what Enos Cantor made uh, Spencer Hawes look like in, in the previous game. Um, this Bobon is just a, a physical specimen. And in his limited time in this game, 22 minutes, he had an absolute impact. He went to work on the offensive boards. He ended the game with nine offensive rebounds, nine, 19 total boards, 15 points, and kept killing them on the same direct handoff set. It was uh, Tobias Harris, direct handoff. To KCP, Boban comes up, flashes high post, sets the screen, and then rolls down. And KCP found him, killed them two, uh, three times maybe with that same set. And the Hornets just were not defensively ready. They weren't really defensively ready before Boban came into the game. But then that seemed to throw them in, in, into a complete uh, a spiral. And and the Hornets second unit defense. Uh, was just an absolute uh, it was an absolute disaster. I don't think there's any other way to describe it. And when you compare the the second unit defense to the first unit defense, the difference is is stark. I mean, there's just there's misrotations, there's bad one-on-one play, and you know, there have been some issues stopping superstars and then there are issues like what happened last night, which is you just can't stop anyone. And, I mean, you look at the, the, the percentages. Drummond was 7 of 15. He was allowed to get way too deep into the post and, and hit those hook shots. I mean, that's his offense. If you can force him just a little bit outside of the paint, th- then you limit what he can do offensively. He only had 25 minutes in this game because he spent the entire game in foul trouble, but he still comes away with 16 points and, and 9 rebounds. I just don't – there's no excuse for the Hornets – to allow 115 points to the Detroit. Pit. They can't keep anyone under 110. I mean it's 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 incredible how far this team has fallen defensively and you have to lay a lot of that at the hands of that second unit because the first unit has certainly had issues defensively, but nothing like what happens. I mean they they allowed a 15 to 6 run and a 16 to 4 run. The bench did for the Detroit Pistons, allowed them to continually extend leads and get back into the game at different points in this one. So um, just a real tough, just a real tough game defensively. But Kimball Walker, uh, stellar again, as I said, 32 points and 20 of those coming in the fourth quarter. But he was doing fantastic things all throughout this game including drawing the three-point foul to pull the game back within 10 in the at the end of the first half this game was getting out of hand could have been a 20-point blowout but you had moments like that where Kimba draws that three-point foul gets it back within 10 and, and suddenly they're in the ball game again and then he came back immediately and hit a three out of the locker room and uh, well you know he was on the court by that time but you know what I mean uh, knocks down the three and they started running the third quarter to get Get back into things. Um, you had Roy Hibbert hitting the dream shake. Oh man, that might be a step back three look later on. Uh, it was a pretty, it was a pretty neat move from Roy Hibbert, who, you know, I thought had had a really good game. I mean, he he had an impact. Uh, only eight points, uh, but he had three blocks. I thought he did a great job on the interior. And again, you could see the difference in terms of interior defense when he was in and when Spencer was in, because Boban got another shot. To get back into the game, when Drummond got into some more foul trouble, and Boban had to go against the starters in the second half, and and Roy Hibbert shut him down, and, and so again, you can see the the difference uh, between the two lineups. I think uh, defensively, and certainly having Cody Zeller in this game would have helped, but he was out uh, with um, still dealing with that concussion. It looked like he was working out pre-game, so we may be close to a Cody Zeller return, we will have to see. Uh, so Kimba, as I said, pulled this team back in it after the Nick Batum injury. And, and then you had Spencer Hall. You had a lot of Spencer Hawes in the fourth quarter. And uh, th- again, there were a lot of people wondering, because the Hornets could not get a stop in that fourth quarter, why they were going with Spencer Hawes over a guy like Roy Hibbard, who did have a good defensive game. And I was starting to ask that question as well. I thought Spencer Hawes was playing kind of Schrodinger's basketball. I couldn't tell at times if he was keeping the Hornets alive or killing them, because he would he would make a great play on the offensive end and then immediately come back on the defensive end and 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 have a lapse. But I don't think you can question it when you when you look at how the game ended where he hits the big three. Again, this is the second straight game that Spencer Hawes has hit a a late game three to tie it. Eight seconds to go. 113-113 tie after Hawes hits the three-point jump shot. And you got to give it to Bellinelli as well, who dove deep down and did that sort of LeBron James-esque slinging the ball back after driving uh, type of pass. Bellinelli, uh, outstanding pass. You know, he's still getting back into his shooting rhythm, recovering from that sprained ankle injury, but finding other ways uh, to impact the game. All right, so we get down to these final couple of possessions. Next possession, uh, the, the the Hornets have tied it. All they need to do is play a little defense, try to get this thing into overtime and see what happens. Unfortunately, uh, they give it to Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson drives deep, and then we have a a foul on Kimba Walker. And I know a lot of fans out there very upset about this foul call. Uh, It was basically a reach call, and uh, it was their second under two minutes, so Jackson... Goes to the free throw line and uh, knocks one of two, gives the Hornets a chance. But let's go back to this foul. Now you know, look, I'm I'm very honest with you. I, I don't, you know, when I when I think something is something, I say it's something, and and I ha- I looked at this over and over, and in my mind, it was definitely a foul. Now we could talk about should they have called it, you know, maybe let the players play after everything that had happened in this game. I mean, that fourth quarter was just back and forth, both teams knocking it down. Clifford said after the game that he didn't really like that stretch because, you know, the Hornets need to get stops, and they couldn't get a stop despite their offense playing stellar basketball in the fourth quarter. But, you know, you could make an argument, hey, let the, let, let them go at it, but I look at this, and it was clear. I mean, he got the, you know, Kimball Walker did the do si got the arm underneath uh, Reggie Jackson's arm, and it, it was certainly a foul by any definition of of that type of foul. So it was a fair call. Jackson uh, misses one of his free throws. Hornets get another timeout. They get uh, Kaminsky and Bellinelli in there. And we have to talk about this. Inbounds possessions becoming an issue for the Charlotte Hornets again. Late game execution this season has been an issue, uh, especially... Inbounding the basketball. Uh, that on the first attempt that they had to, to inbound on this final possession, Frank Kaminsky held it a really long time. I thought the five second call was coming when they blew the whistle, but instead it was a Marcus Morris foul away from the play before the ball was inbounded. And I believe so the, Marco Bellinelli get, gets a free throw out of this. And I believe that's tied into the uh, sort of hack-a, hack-a-shack type of rules, changes that they made uh, to prevent any type of hack-a-drummond uh, from happening that, that this results in a, in a basically, a, a, I don't know if it's technically a technical free throw, but it is one free throw for the opposing team. So Bellinelli uh, gets a chance at this one, knocks down the free throw. Now the margin is only at one. So a two-pointer wins the game, Uh, one second to go here. Kaminsky gets another chance to inbound it, and uh, it's poked away. So now the Hornets are only left with 0.5 seconds. 0.5 seconds left on the clock. Another chance to inbound it. You you have an opportunity to catch and shoot with 0.5 seconds, but you really have little time else, and you better have a quick release. It's not a tap-in situation, like a 0.4 or under You've got a tap-in situation, but it's it's normally understood. Point .5, you've got a chance to really catch and, and quickly release uh, the ball, so it's not going to be a pretty look um, necessarily unless you've got a really great uh, you know sidelines-out-of-bounds play and you execute it perfectly, and, and the defense uh, it really allows you to get that kind of look. Um, but it was a tough place to inbound it as well, and uh, Bellinelli is the inbounder this time. They replaced Frank Kaminsky. And it was an interesting decision by Marco Bellinelli. He throws the ball off the back of the defender, rises up, knocks down a long three-pointer, banked it off the backboard in. But because he bounced the ball, uh, as soon as he released that ball, the clock started. So he didn't have enough time to catch and shoot it after that. And it was just uh, a little out of time and uh, the Hornets lose 115 to 114. And Clifford mentioned that play after the game. Said, "Look, you know, you have to, you have to know that point five. I mean, it was a creative decision, but point five, you don't have enough time to to bounce it off of the back of someone and rise up and shoot. You've got time for one thing, uh, which is a catch and a shoot. And um, they, you know, Bellinelli had Kimball Walker open." Um, It would have been a tough shot for Kimball Walker. So, points for creativity for Bellinelli, points for getting on the internet, but uh, he didn't really give the Charlotte Hornets an opportunity to win the game. Uh, But neither did the Hornets' defense. So, let's just say that, that, yeah, we can rag on Bellinelli for, um, you know, not recognizing time and situation. But, you know, if this had happened in a game that was, um, you know, score was 95, 94 pistons instead of 115, 114 pistons, then I'm here for you. I'm here for that. Let's let's get on Bellinelli and talk about, well, you know, he should have recognized time and situation, should not have bounced it off the bag, tried to, you know, get a little too fancy, get a little too creative. And Bellinelli made the decision quick. It wasn't his last. It wasn't, you know, uh, Frank Kaminsky in that last uh, inbounds uh, that that put the Hornets in that final situation. He was down to his last tick, and and he you know threw the ball all the way across the court. And uh, Detroit heads up play. They they knocked it out of bounds. But that was a desperation type of maneuver because for some reason this season the Hornets cannot get free on inbounds. I don't I don't understand it. Um, it's really been an issue for a couple of seasons now, just inbounding the ball, but uh Bellinelli it wasn't his last opportunity uh the the ref had counted one and he d- went for it bold move there Bellinelli um but again i i just think that this was a game where the the second unit defense struggled again and i think it's an issue they've got to address you know when they get Jeremy Lamb, not known for his defense. Frank Kaminsky, not known for his defense. Ramon Sessions, not known for his defense. And you can argue all three of those players known for defensive lapses. Spencer Hall is not known for his defense. Marco Bellinelli, not known for his defense. When they get those five players on the floor, or a, combo, a combination of four of those players and Nick Batum, they can't stop anybody. And And I don't know if there's really a magic formula on this rotation right now uh, to solve it. I don't know if there's a similar move to getting John Luer in the lineup, like uh, in the starting lineup like Van Gundy did, to try to fix the defensive woes. Because what do you do? If you say, well, they've got enough offense on the first unit, Michael Kidd Gilchrist, maybe you move him down into the second unit, play him, I mean, he's already playing a little bit with the second unit, but maybe play him even more with that second unit and get a little defense in there. But then you'd have to I guess you'd have to elevate Marco Bellinelli into the first unit and then you're losing offensive punch or maybe you maybe you put Jeremy Lamb in a PJ Hairston situation and and start him for the game but then Uh, You know, you lose all of that rebounding. I mean, Michael kidd Gilchrist, 13 rebounds. You lose that aspect of his game in the first unit. And having those wings like Gilchrist and Batum and Marvin Williams rebounding allows Cody Zeller to do things because he doesn't have to worry as much about defensive rebounding and positioning himself for that. It allows him to do things offensively that other centers can't. So there's just a lot of dominoes, and I think maybe, yes, you have to at this point explore the trade market and see if there's something that you can do to address the bench defense because it's killing the team. And I don't know if the answer is there right now. I thought I thought for a while that maybe they could figure something out, but it's looking more and more like, it's a situation that maybe have maybe has to be addressed in the trade market. Uh, Mitch on Twitter suggested uh, Thabo Sevalosha from the Atlanta Hawks, which could be an option as the Hawks uh, look to uh, are maybe are looking to fire sell at this point. They move Kyle Korver to Cleveland, and Kyle wasn't having a great season and and wasn't starting. So there's that. Uh, but if they move Paul Millsap, then maybe Cephalosia becomes available. Um, that's an interesting it's an interesting look but again that's another wing so you've got that same kind of situation with uh whose minutes uh, does he take cuz Marco was playing you know 25 30 minutes uh before the injury he only had 21 as they work him back and he only had 21 last night but that's going to rise So I don't know I mean I I've been advocating for a 3 and D uh 3 and D big you know, like Paul Millsap, but that would be such a splash. I just I don't I don't know if the guy's out there. It's a tough situation. I mean, I don't want to be. I'm not. I'm just being realistic. Next game tomorrow night at the Spurs. The last meeting, November twenty third, a one nineteen one fourteen loss on ESPN. Interestingly enough, that game, another instance of late game execution issues. Marvin with the the inbounds uh, turnover when they were down two points. Had a chance to, had a final possession chance to maybe win it, maybe tie it. And again, the imbalance hurts them. They'll have another chance uh, in San Antonio to rectify that situation. Only two games against the Spurs this season, so they'll wrap up the series uh, tomorrow night. Make sure you're tuned in to at com and locked on Hornets on Twitter at locked on Hornets. We will have uh, live game tweets, and then, of course, at thehive.com we'll have previews recaps of that game. All right, before we go, let's briefly talk about this all-star voting update that we got yesterday. Kimball Walker, ninth place in the fan vote. Kyrie Irving leads the way. That was expected. Dwayne Wade in second place might be surprising to some because he's not exactly having an all-star into his career, but it's not surprising to me because he's always had a big fan vote. And I told David that I thought Dwayne Wade would get the second most votes. DeMar DeRozan sitting in third, Isaiah Thomas in fourth, Derek Rose in fifth, Kyle Lowry in sixth, John Wall in seventh, Jeremy Lin, who's only played in 12 games this season, in eighth. Again, relying on that fan base, Kimball Walker in ninth, and then Avery Bradley in 10th. I really don't have much to say about this. I mean, I I didn't expect Kimball Walker to uh, really light up the fan vote. And the fan vote is for the starters. So you would need to be top two for it to matter anyhow. And the fan vote only accounts for 50% of the vote. The media and players will get a say in this as well. But again, I don't. I mean, there's been a lot of talk amongst the media about Kimball Walker's ascension, but I don't think anyone would have him starting. I think you'd have Kyrie Irving and you, you, could, you could make a case to me for DeMar DeRozan or Isaiah Thomas after the December that Isaiah's had. But I think the case for Kimball Walker being an all star is there. I don't think him being a starter is there. So then the fan vote really doesn't matter all that much. It was always going to be a coach's decision. But it is interesting. Derrick Rose, fifth place. Jeremy Lynn, eighth place. Dwayne Wade, second place. It really like once you build a reputation as a star player. It's really hard for that reputation to leave the minds of fans. And and that's, that's just where the fan vote is. And you have Zaza Pachulia in the West, second place, so there are some geographic considerations as well. There are some, when you give anything to the internet... You're going to run into a situation like uh, Major League Baseball did where uh, the, the vote gets a little screwy because people say, hey, vote for this guy or, hey, vote for all players from this team. Whenever you do a fan vote, you're going to open yourself up to things like that. And the National Hockey League went through it with, um, uh, uh, then, then they then the National Hockey League rescinded that fan vote and, and there was a whole uproar there. I just think that, you know, when you give things to the fans, you got to expect uh, kooky things to happen. And, um, yeah, so if you're a fan of Kimba Walker, don't be concerned with fan vote because it's not going to matter anyway. That's all I'm saying. Uh, thanks for listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Hornets. Thanks for listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's been a fun week here with you and, and trying to uh, deal with what's going on with the Hornets right now defensively. Uh, that's been the big trend. Uh, hopefully it turns around next week. Thanks so much for listening and sharing us uh, on Twitter and on Facebook. We really appreciate uh, you helping us get the word out here about the best Hornets talk anywhere. Shoot at your Hornets questions and thoughts to buzzbuzz buzz at LockedOnHornets.com. We're back again next week. Uh, for the entire team here at Locked On Hornets, I'm Doug. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte. So what if I like to stay up Watch TV, don't blame it on caffeine